Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Dusenberry Jr. Follow me on Twitter, IG, YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up TheSamD.com. Follow along with the podcast on social at The Sam D Podcast on Twitter and IG. The SamD Podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Musical production done by Mayfair's Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Well, I must say, I told y'all Mello was on the press run. But, like, he's on an OD press run. Like, he is literally everywhere pushing this book. But he gave us a drop. I don't know if you've been peeping some of the stuff he's been saying, but Mello was kind enough to give us the CMD podcast a drop. I don't watch ESPN and I don't, I don't watch that shit. Talk that shit, Mello. I don't Mello. watch ESPN and I don't, I don't watch that shit. We don't. I don't watch. We don't watch that shit. I don't watch that shit. I don't watch ESPN and I don't, I don't watch that shit. Is there anything truer he's ever said? I don't watch ESPN. I don't watch ESPN. I don't watch ESPN. I don't, I don't watch ESPN and I don't, I don't watch that shit. I mean, so salute to, you know, the press run to be able to finally get something from Mello that I can use here on the pod. I don't watch ESPN. I don't, I don't watch ESPN and I don't, I don't watch that shit. I mean, but he did go on the overworked and overpaid, hiding behind the paywall and now assembling his own big three, Friday Smith. He did go on there and promote the book. So, I mean, I guess you could go on a platform and not really watch the platform because, I mean, I don't watch ESPN. And I, don't, I don't watch he's just that like shit. us. He's a real dude. I don't watch ESPN. And I don't, I don't like watch us. that shit. I don't watch. I don't watch. I don't watch ESPN. And I, don't, I, don't I don't watch, watch that, that shit. shit. I mean, when I do, I'm stealing it. I'm bootlegging it from somewhere. I'm streaming it from somewhere. I don't watch ESPN. And I, don't, I don't watch that and shit. And probably the good majority, the vast majority of y'all are doing it too. I don't watch ESPN. And I, don't, I don't watch that shit. But I mean, here we are. But I wanted to start with that because, look, there's a lot of mellow stuff. We'll get to that later. The press run's been crazy. He's been, I said on how he was lying on all the smoke. And I still feel that way. He was lying. Now he's starting to get into some of the more realism bag, the more of his journey, his story, things like that. So we'll, he's, he's, he's putting some tea out there. We'll get to that. But we got to start with football, right? We got to start with football. Week one and two have now concluded. And good Lord, I wanted to come on here and I wanted to talk about Cam and his daddy sitting down in the middle of a field, chopping it up. I wanted to come on here and talk about low-key, I think, Cam is going down the same path of being blackballed like Kaepernick. But then the actual game started, and we had other stuff to actually focus on. The, the thing shifted. The Packers went out there and spit the bit in week one. People were jumping out the window with hot takes, and then they go out there and take care of business against the lowful, the lowly Lions last night on Monday Night Football. So all is right in Green Bay. No one's stressing Aaron Rodgers and whether he's tanking like that, those were actual takes that were being put out there is that Aaron Rodgers was tanking. Then he goes out there last night, what, four touchdowns, four or five touchdowns against the Lions, light work because the Lions were always lying. 
as Megatron is still out here trying to get his signing bonus back from when he had to walk away from the game because the Lions were such a trash organization from top to bottom that he tapped out, said no mas. So Barry Sanders and Legatron both walked away from the Lions and said, no mas, I don't want no more parts of this trash-ass franchise. And they made arguably the greatest player in their, in their franchise's existence give back his signing bonus. But that's a story for another day. But this is what we're talking about when we have all these different storylines because now we have actual games we could break down and talk about. Well, I have to keep it a buck. I was at a game. I would like to talk to y'all about the game I was at. And it was not a marquee game by any stretch of the imagination, but I learned a lot from going to this game of two franchises that aren't really going anywhere for the foreseeable future. And it was the Jets and the Patriots. And it was the Jets home opener. There was a lot of energy at MetLife, part of the gig. I was able to be down the field and check some of the pregame ceremonies out and all that type of stuff. So we'll, we'll get to that. But just in the atmosphere of being back in the NFL stadium, this time as a person who gets to be on the field. I've been up in MetLife, up in the nosebleeds. I've been in the press box, but now down on the field. Way different experience than press box and definitely way different experience than being up in the nosebleeds. I will say this. If you have any aspirations, if you're, if you're young enough and you're listening to this pod, or if you're older like myself and you have youngins coming up, whether they're cousins, nieces, nephews, your own sons, if they are over six feet or if they're trending to be over six feet, they got a chance. Ain't nobody short on that field, bro. <laughs> Ain't nobody short. If you sub six feet, good Lord, you better have track speed. Because even the goddamn kicker was about 6'2". <laughs> even the, and the holder, the holder was 6'4". Long snapper looked to be about 6'3". So, I mean, you better be tall, bro. Like, that's all it really comes down to it. If you want any chance to play in the National Football League, if you want to put on that shield... If you want to have a CTE-induced brain, you better be tall, bro. That, that was the main takeaway. I was like, all right, these dudes aren't that big, pause, in terms of weight. Like, I looked at some 280, 300-pounders, and I'm like, all right, yeah. I mean, but that's with pads on, and all right, yeah. I mean, probably super strong, super brolic. But in terms of just the, the imposingness, if that's a word, wasn't really that impressive. But what was impressive is, goddamn, these dudes is tall. All these dudes are tall. Not a one. Not a one was short. From my purview, anyway. So, it was a really cool experience to be down there in the field. I will tell you this. Home opener. They had some army choppers flying over the top. So the crowd goes crazy because we know what the majority of the crowd is made up of. And then you have Fireman Ed. And obviously, if you know football and you've been around for the last 15, 20 years, you know who Fireman Ed is. He's the dude that gets the Jet fans riled up. They do the J-E-T-S chant. And he's turned into a celeb. To see him in person and to see him try to get this crowd to get hyped up for Jets Pat's home opener, only to then see Fireman Ed Sitting on his hands, 
for the rest of the game after it was clearly obvious that the Jets had no chance to win this game, it was humorous. It was humorous where in the pregame, it's hope, it's optimism. Young rookie QB, new young energetic coach, lots of roster turnover with fresh new faces, actually a couple of free agent acquisitions. So there's optimism. Rough week one, but on the road, no worries, home cooking, division rival, all things are possible. They get hype. They introduce the offense in the player introductions so you know who came out last. They build up all this crescendo for Zach Wilson to run out there. And the roar from the crowd, it was as if they knew he's the one. They believed. They had this energy. It, was, it wasn't ear deafening. It wasn't ear deafening, but it's definitely the loudest I've ever heard in person in a football stadium. Because, you know, I've been, to a couple of, I've been to a couple of Jets games. They've played the Bears a couple of times over the years. So I've been to a couple of those games. I've been to some college games. And back in the day, my mom would take me to some high school games. I've been in exciting atmospheres. But the roar from that crowd was the most. And it was the biggest for Maga Wilson. And Maga Wilson runs out there. He's getting them hyped up. He's running around. He's bouncing around. He's got, he's got the extra bounce in his step. Home opener, he's the franchise. And then he goes out there. (laughs) I mean, dog, I just sat there and I'm just like, yo, dog, he got all this hype. They're chanting J-E-T-S just for seemingly 10 minutes straight. As the opening kickoff is upon us. And then Mans goes out there in three picks in his first five. One, two, three, four, five. Not one, not two, but three interceptions in his first five passing attempts at the crib. What do you think Fireman Ed could do with that? What do you think Fireman Ed's going to do after getting this crowd into a frenzy? Only to have the future, the franchise, go out there and shit the bed at the crib with three picks in his first five passes. I mean, you couldn't make that shit up, bro. I tried to be nice in the group chat, but the homies was jumping out the window trying to give him bail. I'm just like, bro, Maga Wilson is ass. He's ass. I know there's a lot of QB gurus that think Wilson is it. I don't see it, bro. I don't. And I, you know how I feel about quarterbacks. It's hard for me to judge quarterbacks until they have talent around them. So I'll give him that reprieve. That's it. But in terms of skill set, acumen, it's only two games. But from what I'm seeing, I don't see nothing special. I don't see nothing that would make me head over heels like I got to get that guy. Then you throw in all the MAGA stuff. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Nah. Keep all of that all the way over there. But... To see Fireman Ed, to see the patriotism that was throughout the building with the army choppers flying over, they're displaying the flag in the middle of the field. People is singing the whole national anthem in the Star Star Spangled Banner with their whole heart. Only to watch their mans, Maga Wilson, go out there with three picks in five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> passing attempts. I mean, I you really can't make this shit up. It's the same old Jets. It's the same old Jets. It's a tired line. It's a, it's a tired narrative, but they have done nothing to fix that narrative. I'm walking around the stadium in the mezzanine, you know, and, and the Jet fans are already doom and gloom. Like, I'm telling you, if you would have heard that roar from Maga Wilson, only to then fast forward literally a quarter later, and there's people walking around the concession stands, doom and gloom. It was like their puppy had been murdered in front of them. <laughs> like, it, it was, and man's just still out there throwing picks. He threw more picks after that. The three and five wasn't enough. He had to go out there and chuck a couple of more ducks the Pat's way. And that's football. And that's why fandom is a mental illness because I shared an elevator with a, a older family. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but the shit was funny, man. It really was because it's not even halftime. Now it's late second quarter. It's getting close to be halftime. I'm running around doing things for the gig, you know, on my square, 10 toes down, making sure I keep the checks rolling in. And I'm in the elevator with the older family. Dude in a wheelchair, a woman who was pushing a wheelchair, who I assume was his daughter or caretaker, and another older woman who may have been his wife, sister, whatever. And they're leaving. <laughs> it's not even halftime. It's, it's three minutes to halftime. It's before the two-minute warning. They're leaving. They're out. It's like, uh, maybe next year. It's week two. <laughs> it's, it's week two, and people are walking out the stadium before halftime saying maybe next year. Fandom is a mental illness. This is what they're selling you. That's the product they're selling you. They got the coach. They hype him up about it. he runs the stairs. I saw him run the stairs. I mean, he ran him for a couple of minutes. He's just going up the first level. I thought they were, the way they hyped it up made it seem like, yo, man's be putting them working on them steps, bro. Because I know that's what we used to do for track back in the day. Like, we used to run them stairs. Man just did a couple of, a couple of flights and that was it. I said, that's the big shit that everyone is hyping up about his work. I'm like, all right, man, look, no, no, no disrespect. As-salamu alaykum. No, no disrespect. Allah Akbar. No disrespect. But I mean, this is what we're doing. They have sold you another false bill of goods. All these teams do it at some point. But if you're a fan of a team like the Jets that have, if you're roundabout my age, they've done this to you your whole life. I mean, there's people that's older than me that haven't seen a sustained level of positivity. I'm not even going to say of good play or excellent play, just a sustained level of positivity for that franchise their whole lives, 50, 60 years. I'm telling you, man, tell me how it's not a mental illness. I dare you. I, I walked out of that stadium. I felt so more secure. In my fandom is a mental illness belief than ever before. Seeing people leave before halftime. <laughs> also, by the way, uh, heard some Patriots coaches still talking about Cam. That's all I can say on that. 
I'm not saying where Cam is or won't be in a few weeks. All I'm saying is Cam Newton is still a popular name on that sideline. Make of that what you will. Hey, that quarterback that y'all call a running back, um, y'all know he did that, right? Like, that was him. That was him. And he did that to Mahomes and them. And he did that without his number one or number two or number three running backs. He did that missing his left tackle. He did that missing still a number one receiver. He did that against Mahomes and them. He did that against the Honey Badger and them. Coming back from 28-17 and 35-24 at the crib against Mahomes and them, who's putting up an easy 35. Lamar Jackson did that. And there's going to come a point in time where the narratives on Lamar are going to have to fall by the wayside. He's not your prototypical QB. He is not your traditional drop back passer. He is not, he does not have the prettiest throwing motion. He does not have the, he can't teardrop it in the air like Russie does, like Russell Wilson does, and it just falls right into the pocket of a receiver's arms. He doesn't throw the ball that way. That's just not the arc of his motion. That's just not who he is. He's a one of one. And we keep trying to grasp and keep trying to fit him into a mold of something we've seen before. I mean, you just have to realize this dude is some new shit. It's not Randall Cunningham. It's not even Steve McNair. It's not any of the others in between. It's not Steve Young. It's not any of that. He's a one of one. What he can do when you know what's coming, you know the RPO is coming. We all know the fundamentals of what you're supposed to do in playing against a quarterback like him in the RPO. But yet and still, week after week, more times than not, he's putting up yards. And he's the most dangerous weapon on the field every single down. There's not much you can do to scheme for that. So while if you want to ride with the Polian camp still to this day, I mean, you really need to check your allies with that. This man's won an MVP. Yes, he's had some playoff failures. But again, you have to look at the talent around him. Sammy Watkins did what he always does. He had a ridiculous week one. What happened the other night? I mean, this this is the talent that they're surrounding him with. He's got a dependable tight end. He's got your traditional Jason Witten-esque tight end in Andrews. He's got a dominant running game with whoever's back there, which speaks to the offensive line, even though they're down their best offensive lineman. They were dedicated to running the football. And whether it was with him in the RPO or just straight running the football with whoever they had, Latavius Murray dusting him off. They still got Le'Veon on the practice squad. He about to pull up. They're going to find some dudes to chuck the rock. Because they're dedicated to establishing that line of scrimmage. Because when you can actually run the ball, that RPO becomes even more dangerous. When Latavius Murray is a goal line threat, when the kid that got Williams is out here getting about five, seven yards a clip, now when Lamar is putting the ball in their belly, you really don't know what to do if you're a D lineman. Do you crash down or nah? If you're a linebacker, do you shoot the gap or nah? 
You have to really weigh those things out. So it's a dangerous weapon when you can have an actual running game and then you have arguably the most dangerous weapon in the game who can run and throw. Also being able to chuck the rock and make things happen. So that's why the Ravens are always going to be in the mix, but that's why it, it behooves me why they can't surround him with one, just one. I'm not asking for him to have the Tom Brady weapons. I'm not asking him to even have the Mahomes weapons. I'm saying give him one bona fide number one receiver and watch what happens. Y'all know how I feel about Josh Allen. Have y'all really seen a lot of great shit from Josh Allen so far? Don't look at the box scores. Go watch the games. YouTube is your friend. Go watch those Bills games. Have you seen that much greatness from Josh Allen that everyone kept hyping up to be? It's because he's got digs. You go get Lamar a digs. Now we're talking Super Bowl contenders. Right now they're just playoff contenders. Probably, maybe, kind of, sort of, could make it to the championship game. But no one's really believing in the Ravens as Super Bowl contenders. And that was before they got all them damn injuries, like seemingly 10 days leading into the regular season opener. So now you factor in all those injuries. I mean, I feel like they're, they're in a potential situation here where they could waste a lot of the youth of Lamar Jackson by not putting the pieces around him. Does it take that much to get a number one receiver? If you don't draft one, what did the Bills give up for Stephon Diggs? A first round pick, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. That's all it took. And it wasn't even a high first. Low first round pick, 22nd pick overall. 22nd pick overall for a number one, a bona fide number one, not one that you're wishing upon a star. Like if you draft a first round receiver, a bona fide, already proven Pro Bowl stud number one receiver, you gave up a low first round pick, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. Ravens can't do that. You saw what the Texans got in return for Nuck. Cardinals would do that trade. 30 times over. Why can't the Ravens get Lamar Jackson some help? How long can they keep doing this thing of he has to do it all? How long? It's going to be hard to have a dynamic running back behind Lamar Jackson. Because at some point you're going to do like most teams do in the playoffs is and you dare him to beat you with his arm. We're going to dare you to beat us with Hollywood Brown. We're going to dare you to beat us over the top with last year. They had old ass Des Bryant. We're going to dare you to beat us this year with a mediocre Sammy Watkins. This is what they're going to challenge him to do in the playoffs. All he needs is one. It's, it's frustrating because when you see somebody beat Mahomes at the crib when Mahomes is doing Mahomes things and he still gets the dub and he comes back from 
late deficits, double-digit point deficits in the fourth quarter, this is what's happening. It's kind of like, yo, dog, don't waste this. How much longer you think he could keep doing this? He fought back from 11-point leads, 11-point deficits twice at the crib against Mahomes, and he found a way. How much longer are the Ravens just going to put it all in Lamar Jackson's lap? Two games in, how's Urban's one-year rebuilding plan going? <laughs> oh, man, one-year rebuilding plan, huh? This ain't college, bro. There's no four- and five-star blue chips recruit. You could just go poach, drop a bag off, and go scoop up a whole bunch of IMG kit. Like, nope, nope, nope. You stuck with them Bishop Sycamores you got over there in Jacksonville, bro. Good luck. Salute. It's amazing. And, you know, there were rumors coming out of camp in regards to him violating (laughs) OTA protocols out the gate. Like, not even COVID protocols, just OTA protocols. Making dudes do the Oklahoma drill. Like, you're not in college, bruh. It's literally called the Oklahoma drill because it's a college drill. You're in the National Football League. You're wearing the shield. You took the bag. This is the professional football league now. You can't run that Oklahoma drill with grown-ass men. Ain't no grown-ass men trying to do no, well, maybe maybe the grown-ass men for Bishop Sycamore, and I'll have an update on them later. But maybe maybe those dudes are fiending to do an Oklahoma drill because they're still trying to get out. They're still trying to get out the, get out the block, get off the, you know, get off the midnight shift. They got to work at UPS. They're they trying to find their way. But a grown-ass man making millions of dollars ain't trying to do no Oklahoma drill, bro. So how you thought you could walk into an NFL training camp, even OTAs, and get that off? Hell yeah, there were players complaining to the players' union. It's one of the few times the NFLPA has actually stood up for once. But he's still talking this talk, and he's, he's trying to give... We've seen this movie, right? We've seen this movie where college coaches come into the NFL, and they try to make it a college-like atmosphere... And I can really only recall it working once, and that's with Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll came in with that USC energy, and it worked. But we've seen it from, if you want to go back in the day with Sperrier, uh, if you want to go to, well, Jimmy Johnson, I, I guess you got to go Jimmy Johnson as well. Jimmy Johnson is probably the only one who did it in an urban-type way and got it off. But he also was able to pick the players. That was huge. And he also went and got a bunch of Miami dudes. <laughs> so he took a lot of the dudes, the, a lot of the horses he was he was rocking with at the U and brought them to Dallas. So that kind of helps. But in regards to outside of those two, outside of P. Carroll and Jimmy Johnson, I really can't recall anyone else making the transition from college to the pros and getting it off like that. Sperio was a disaster. Saban ran away. Like, I, I really don't recall anyone getting it off besides those two. And Urban is going along those same lines where I'm going to do the college thing at the pro level and it's going to work because I know that college rhetoric works with a lot of those guys because those guys, by and large, went to similar colleges, like where that rhetoric really pays off. 
problem is the bags are much bigger in the pros than in than in college. You can spit that the Ohio State shit all you want, but you're talking to a dude that's getting ten million a year. He's not doing Oklahoma drill. And you know the USC job became available, and Urban had to go out there and publicly decline that he had any interest or was going to take the job, which he's done that before and lied. I mean, Urban has gotten sick or had to make time to be with his family and then pops with a new job within a matter of hours. He's done that at least three times now. So it wouldn't behoove me if he, at the end of the season, was like, you know what? I thought this was it. I got some health issues. I need to fall back. I need to reassess some things. And then he's back in college, probably not SC. If I'm SC, I don't do it. Because there's violations after, after Urban leaves. There's violations everywhere he goes. He stood on his square and said, this is a one-year rebuild. After one game, there were rumors that he was already over it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. People really get scammed. Again, this goes into fandom. Imagine you're a Jags fan. We got Urban Meyer. We got Trevor Lawrence. The tide is turning. We finally got old-ass Tom Coughlin out of there. Urban Meyer, in that part of the country, godlike figure. He brings in Tebow, literally a godlike figure. And then they draft Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick, who looks like a godlike figure. It's the layup of all layups if you're Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. At least it should be. But when you're a known, it's only a matter of time fake thugs can pretend. It's only a matter of time. And Urban Meyer is a fake thug trying to pretend. Every way he goes. And Jacksonville is just the latest stop. And I don't know, the Khan family money is long. That's the ownership for the Jags, the Khan money. The Khan family has got a lot of money, very long money. I don't know how long they're going to let this ride. Because it's clear to me that Herb is over his head. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, I mean, it ain't Clemson, bro. <laughs> Receivers ain't running 15, 20 yards wide open every down, bro. The windows are a lot tighter, bruh. Throwing across the hash ain't as easy as it used to be, huh? All right. I, I don't know, man. But I just love the fact that he stood on his own and with his own mouth said, this is a one-year rebuild. And we're two weeks in, and the social media account for the Jaguars is out here putting motivational shit to keep the fan base afloat at 0-2. Players are disgruntled. Coaches are disgruntled. Yet there's Herb who got the bag. And he's ready in his next step. You know he's not long for that spot. He's not long for that spot. There's no way he's not. If he's there more than two years in Duval, I'll be shocked. Absolutely shocked. It's his track record. He wears people out or he wears himself out. Either or. That's the way every movie has ended. Youngstown State to now in the National Football League. Either you grow tired of him or he grows tired of the gig. 
That's how it usually goes for Herb. A lot of you have never heard me talk about my former Chicago Bears fandom. But because of Justin Fields, people have been imploring me to get back on the train. It's time to come back. You took your protest. We, we respect it. You didn't want to support a trash franchise that, you know, couldn't figure things out at QB. But now we got one. Justin Fields is that guy. And as much as I would, you know, part of me still would like enjoy the concept of being a fan. I just know too much about what it is upstairs in them offices and what it is in them league offices to be a fan. I can't. I can't do it. But part of me would love to just be around a group that we all enjoy the same thing. We're all banded together and we're brought together by this one solitary thing. No matter what walk of life you come from, we all get together to support this one thing. I love that concept. I imagine that as part of the, the I don't call y'all fans, like y'all are my audience, my listeners, y'all are my supporters of this podcast. But when it comes to the Bears, man, Matt Nagy, I mean, did, did you hear the, the interaction he had? I believe it was Brad Biggs. Man, listen to the way he says Brad at the end of this, by the way, because there was a lot of spice at the end of this clip and calling out Brad Biggs. If it is Brad Biggs, who's one of the beat writers, the well-known beat writer for the Chicago Tribune. But obviously Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle or the Red Rocket, I don't know which, which nickname he's going by these days. Oh, yeah, we got to get on to this Jay Herbo shit. Shout out to Corey. I didn't know Jay Herbo was a thing. Maybe that's my age showing. But I did not know that the streets is out here calling Justin Herbert Jay Herbo. We're we going to have to have a conversation about that. But anyway, so the Red Rifle, the Red Rocket, depending on who you are, Andy Dalton is, he was promised a gig when the Bears signed him. And Matt Nagy, for some reason, wants to be 10 toes down and be a man of his word. And by no matter what Justin Fields does on the football field, on the practice field, in simulations and whatever, he is refusing to give the job to Justin Fields. So, Andy Dalton gets hurt in week two against the Bengals. He's hobbling around. He's out for the game. Justin Fields goes in there. He looks bad. He looks good. He looks like a rookie. The Bears find a way to hang on in an inconsequential victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. So the Bears have a game this week. Who's going to start? Andy Dalton, is he going to be okay? The negatives came, the, the x-rays came back negative and he could be out a week. It could be out a few weeks. He could play this week. So what does that mean for Justin Fields? So it's only fair that a journalist covering the Bears would ask the head coach of the Bears, hey, what's going to happen at quarterback? And this was the interaction between Matt Nagy and I'm assuming Brad Biggs. If Andy's healthy, is he your starter? If Andy is healthy, is he your starter? Ah, uh, that's something that I'm not going to get into with scheme. That's not scheme. Of course, of course it is. That, that's, that's 100% scheme, Brad. Call that man's Brad with a lot of condescension. I know you heard that. Like the Brad at the end, a lot of spice. So he's claiming he doesn't want to say who his starter is because that's part of scheming. Do you think teams are really scared about having the double game plan 
for the red rifle or the red rocket or a rookie QB who's a dual threat? Do you think a defensive coordinator – I don't even know who the Bears play this week. Let, let, let's find out together who the Bears play this week. And let's see if we think that defensive coordinator is losing sleep at the prospect of having the game plan for not only the red rifle, but also a rookie QB and Justin Fields. Let's see which defensive coordinator is out here sweating bullets because Matt Nagy won't release the info of who potentially will start for the Chicago Bears against the Browns. This is who he's doing this to. He thinks the Browns, he thinks Miles Garrett is nervous. Denzel Ward is nervous. He thinks the Browns give a damn whether it's the Red Rifle or Justin Fields. The Browns. A team that has actual Super Bowl aspirations. The Browns. That defense. Stefanski. You think Stefanski's going to tell his team, hey, look, guys, we're going to have to really lock in this week because we don't know if it's going to be Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. Is it really a scheme if everyone knows who your top two QBs are and there's film on both those QBs through two games? Is it really a scheme that you need to protect? Like, what is Matt Nagy actually talking about? What in the actual fuck is Matt Nagy talking about when he refuses to acknowledge the existence of a scenario where Justin Fields may have to start in place of Andy Dalton because of scheme. That will give away our game plan. They do RPOs with the red rifle. Andy Dalton was back there doing RPOs and bootlegs. So how much more different is the scheme when Justin Fields is in there? This isn't when it was Drew Brees and Tyson Hill or even Jameis and Tyson Hill, where when Tyson Hill comes in, you know what the play is going to be. He's directly involved every single time. Very rarely is he a decoy. When Tyson Hill's in there, I would say 80% of the time, he's getting a rock. This isn't that. They're running RPOs with Andy goddamn Dalton. If they're doing it with Dalton, they're damn sure going to do it with Justin Fields. So what is he protecting from the Cleveland Browns? It's just he's in over his head. He's holding on to this, this pride shit of I told Andy Dalton he's going to be the starter. But he was for week one. He was. You lived up to your word. You were a man of your word. He never said that he promised him to be the starter for the whole season. He just said he promised him that he's going to name and ride with Andy Dalton as the starter. And he did that. Week one, he was there. Week two, he was there. Now he's hurt. You want to be such a man of your word that you're going to start a QB that's half healthy? That's maybe 50 to 75% healthy over your prize jewel number one pick? who has shown flashes, who has shown he can make throws that the red rocket or the red rifle can't. And y'all wonder why I got out the fan business. That's why I imagine being a bears fan. So again, I walked you through the Jag scenario. I walked you through the jet scenario. And now here we go again with another one in the bear scenario. Why would you want to be a fan? 
You can't control this. That's always been my issue. That's what kind of turned it for me. It's like, yo, I can't keep supporting this. I can't control this. I have no say in this. I could scream from the mountaintops, fire Matt Nagy, and it means nothing. Bulls fans had a whole hashtag for two and a half years trying to fire the Bulls GMN VP of basketball operations. And it did nothing. They took out billboards in the city of Chicago and it still meant nothing. You don't matter to these organizations. So imagine being a Bears fan. You're finally investigating like, holy shit, I haven't seen a great quarterback my entire lifetime. We've been gifted one. He fell in the draft for nefarious reasons, if you ask me, and he was there. And the Bears did the rare move of trading up to get someone good. They're great at trading up to get someone trash or unproven, but they actually traded up to get someone good. And now they have a stubborn coach who's choosing his pride over his job security. This is an actual thing that Matt Nagy's doing. He'd rather go out on his sword by saying, at least I went out knowing that I said Andy Dalton is going to be my starter and God damn it, Andy Dalton was my starter over job security, over potential legacy. Whoever the coach is that comes in and turns the Bears around with a quarterback, get Ditka out of here. That coach has a chance to usurp Ditka. As great as Lovey Smith was, for many reasons, he's not highly thought of in the coaching pantheon of Bears. It's Papa Bear George Hallis, Ditka, and then that's pretty much it. Maybe people throw Buddy Ryan in there, even though he was just a coordinator, but he's connected to the 85 Bears. Maybe they do that. But outside of that, that's it. Even though Lovey got him to a bowl and close to another bowl, don't matter. What have you done for me lately? They ran him out of here, and it's been jokes ever since. But the one that comes in and has that quarterback... You have a chance to get past all of them outside of Papa Bear, George Hallis. But they won't. Because the organization would rather invest in the man who'd rather stand on his word to Andy Dalton of all people. Than a potential franchise quarterback. Do I have to say it again? I guess I have to. That's why fandom is a mental illness. So like I said earlier, uh, when I was down on the field pregame, you know, doing shit for the gig, you overhear conversations, you hear, you know, you you, you introduce yourself to some people and things like that, and then you just kind of go about your business. Came to his name came up a few times on that Patriot sideline. And there were some people down there who were insinuating that, you know, hey man, Cam's not far away. But while Cam might not be far away, 
if you want to believe that you can if you want to believe it's hearsay or speculation you can you can take take that information for what you will that that's what this podcast does i tell you things i give you my insight my thoughts you take of it what you will cam newton's name was brought up more than once more than a couple times on that patriot sideline during pregame is cam newton getting a lower level Colin Kaepernick treatment. We saw the clip. I have the clip of him talking to his his pops, right? His pops on the 50-yard line or some at some school and whatever, whatever. We, we, we may get to that. It's, it's a long two-minute clip, but I had that ready for last week, but schedule got really wacky on the road doing college football, so I could, couldn't pod last week. But I'm starting to think, and follow me here, I'm starting to think Kaepernick and Cam Newton are kind of experiencing the same thing, but for obviously very different reasons. There's a lot of similar narratives that were happening with Kaepernick that are happening with Cam Newton. Obviously, the protest stuff is what kicked everything off with Kaepernick, but then you started to get the narratives of, oh, he's not even good anymore. Oh, he was benched his last couple of games in San Francisco. Oh, he's not even that accurate. He can't keep up in today's modern NFL. The way the game the game has evolved past him. We heard that with Kaepernick. So explain to me how we're hearing similar things with Cam Newton. He was benched. He has not looked good. People are saying the game has evolved past him the skill set that's needed to be a quarterback in today's game. He doesn't possess those qualities, those intangibles. That's what people are saying. So to me, it's kind of like deja vu. It was like, well, and then people finally came to the realization, oh, no, Kaepernick probably still could play because, look, we got Nathan Peterman out here starting games. And that's where it's like, if you're telling me Kaepernick can't play, but Nathan Peterman can We can't talk about football together anymore. I can't take anything you say seriously. So now when we go out here and we have the Brian Hoyers of the world still on rosters, there's a McCown floating around there still in the ether on the NFL roster. These are the types of players that are still out here playing quarterback. And yet the narrative is now that Cam Newton somehow a former MVP who has led a team with not a lot of talent, by the way, to a Super Bowl, he somehow can't do it anymore. When the league is being run by all dual-threat QBs outside of some old holdovers, somehow a quarterback who came from that era who was a dual-threat and is still, in today's game, a dual-threat, in the most dual threat of dual threat errors, can't play in today's game. So you told me Kaepernick couldn't play. Couldn't throw the ball as well. Got benched. Not as accurate as you need to be in today's game. Wasn't even that good, even at his apex. All these narratives are floating around now for Cam. And then everyone, well, most people, came to their senses a couple of years later. 
are we going to follow down that same path when it comes to Cam Newton? Are we going to have him out here low-key blackballed, not blackballed in the same manner as Kaepernick, but blackballed in the sense of nobody wants him because, oh, no, and also the narrative with Kaepernick is, oh, he wants to start. He's not good enough to start. So you can't sign him because he wants to start. He's not willing to back up. And what are you hearing with Cam Newton? And he addressed it in the clip with his pops that he's willing to back up. But the narrative that you're hearing publicly from NFL insiders is that Cam Newton doesn't want to back up. He wants to be a starter. He only wants to go somewhere where he can actually have a chance to start. So again, I'm not saying, but I'm saying. It's a lot of similar storylines being pushed that people had to walk back years later when it came to Colin Kaepernick that people are doing current day with Cam Newton. I will not bore you with the fact that the Saints had eight coaches out because of COVID protocols. I know some of y'all just don't. Some of y'all don't care about the COVID stuff. That's cool. I do because I'm out here in these streets. I work outside. So I'm out here. I'm dealing with that shit. So that's why it means a little bit more to me than most of y'all who still get to work remotely. But yes, Saints were down eight coaches because of COVID protocols. And you can wonder why Jameis shit the bed the other day. But okay. Anyway, so let's move on to Melo and his press run. Oh, Melo's been everywhere. He's been on the Today Show. He's on the Four Letter Network. Uh, He's been doing the podcast run or the streaming show run. He's been everywhere. But there's two clips besides, I mean, the one that I gave y'all earlier. I don't watch ESPN and I don't don't watch that shit. I don't don't watch ESPN and I I don't watch that shit. Besides that one, there were two other sound bites or clips that caught my eye that I would like to talk with with y'all. Now, again, we're talking about the 10th leading score in NBA history. So let's be clear there. So the first thing we're going to get into is the other teams that Camelo said he was interested in or were interested in him this past offseason. So we know Portland was a thing. There were rumors about the Lake Show because of Braun. And he's talked about that on every single press run about how Braun reached out to him to recruit him. But he also mentioned Philly. Hi, Philly. He also mentioned Nick's tape. Take that for what you will. I would have loved to see what the Nick fans would have done if Melo would have came back. How would they have twisted that? Because they love to hate Melo. They love to hate Melo. But if Melo's coming back, oh, we're going to run that red hook shit back? We're going to run that back? We're going to print those Knicks Red Hook Brooklyn t-shirts again. We're going to do that. Because now we love Melo again because he's wearing the jersey again. But anyway, this is Melo. And I chose this clip specifically because, well, we'll we'll get there. Let me just give you all the clip. I found myself waiting on, like, sitting around and waiting on Portland for something. I was just like, you know, I... I don't want to talk to nobody yet. I'm just see what, you know, see what Portland does, see what, they, you know, see what happens, see what Ben said. You know, I was, I was talking to Dame, talking to CJ. I was just waiting to see, like, okay, are they going to call? Are they, gonna, are, are they interested? I haven't heard anything. Or do they want to bring me back? Do they want to move on? I know they got a new coach. Right there. 
The end. I know they got a new coach. And y'all know who the coach is. Chauncey Billups. Chauncey Billups and Camilla Anthony played together for a few teams and had success together. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> I think there's a clear reason why Portland never, he went on to say later in that, in that same interview, that Portland never reached out. He only was in communication with CJ and Dame and a couple other players. Like the organization never reached out. And I think I know why. <laughs> Chauncey don't fuck with Melo. Chauncey has not been kind to Melo in their post-playing careers. Uh, what was the, the, he had something a few years ago where he came out basically trashing Melo. When Melo was being blackballed, and I called that and no one wanted to co-sign it until it was painfully obvious. When Melo was being blackballed, Chauncey was one of those that tap danced on Melo's grave. And now Chauncey's the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. And as much power as we assume Dame Lillard has, and Melo insinuated that Dame wanted him back, if the new coach is walking in and he's fresh off a broadcasting career before he's a little sin as an assistant coach, in his broadcasting hot-taking career when he trashed Melo, I mean, why would he then want to have his organization bring that player right to him in his first gig as a head coach? So I think the reason why the Trailblazers never reached out to Melo is because Chauncey Billups is now the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. And you notice Melo didn't mention Chauncey by name. He said, no, they got a new coach. He didn't say the name. They played together in Denver and with the Knicks. Didn't say his name. You don't think Melo knows? You know Melo knows. So that's one thing. Second one to me goes into a point I made a few pods ago in regards to the late David Stern and how on this podcast it's always fuck David Stern. And I know that will probably ultimately block me from getting blue check credibility because no one can say anything bad about David Stern because he transcended the game as if he wasn't gifted magic, Larry and Michael Jordan. But anyway, so Melo talks about how he had a 15 game suspension back in the day. And there was some murkiness as to what the suspension actually was, but it was because Melo in Phil Jackson's words had a posse. And there were some people in that posse that were people from West Baltimore. And if you know anything about Baltimore, either East or West, they give it up. <laughs> they, they give it up. They get it in. So Mello had a conversation at the league office with David Stern. So I'll give you all that clip. I know who you with. I know where you live at. I know where they live at. I know when you close your eyes, I know when you work when you wake up. So I'm like, you know, and, and I know what they're doing. He's telling me, I know what I know what they're doing. Either tell them to stop or you gotta cut them off. And I'm like, damn, like how the fuck like that's how I knew NBA was part of the Fed. That's how I knew the NBA is part of the Feds. <laughs> if you don't think these leagues have private investigators by the thousands. Watching these players, 
I, I, I don't know what type of, you know, I don't know what type of time you're on, basically. Uh, nothing Melo said there is a lie. He's been on his truth-telling shit ever since he got them lies off on all the smoke. But, yeah, David Stern got PIs out here. He's aligned with the feds. I mean, he's a lawyer. He's a former big-time lawyer. So does it shock you that a former big-time lawyer would have links with the feds? Doesn't shock me. Go ask AI about that. Anyone who you knew back in the day that had a posse or an entourage, you don't think David Stern had those posses, those entourages followed, investigated, wiretapped, phone tapped? You don't think so? You don't think so. You don't think it's, 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 it's within David, Stur- David Stern's wherewithal to go do that. Gustavo dude that he was. Okay. Okay. I mean, look, man, some, some, some people like to believe in the fallacy of sports and, you know, showmanship and doing things the right way. And even though sports is a business, it's still a kid's game ultimately. And da you can believe that shit if you want, but we have the commissioner of a league aligning himself with the feds to have a player's family slash friends be followed because they're into some shit. They move different because they move different and they're cool with Camelo and they hang around Melo. They travel with Melo. They, pull up on games that Mello's in. They were fully investigated by the federal government. So outside of the billions, if not trillions, we spend on federal defense. We're also spending who knows how much tax money on following NBA players entourages around. And on a podcasting note, um, this podcast has been nominated for the second year in a row for a black podcasting award. It has been nominated again for best black sports podcast. Uh, that means a lot to me. I don't shy away from the fact that I put a lot of work into this. Y'all know y'all have followed me from very meager beginnings to where we're at now. But I think for me is, you know, I like to practice humility, try to be as humble as possible, no Kendrick Lamar. But for me now, I think it's time to drop that humble shit and start talking my shit way more. Because at some point, no one's going to hear you if you're not talking. If you're not telling them how dope you are, how will someone know how dope you are? But there's an internal battle with that. It's an internal battle where you don't want to come off as trying to stunt on people every time, but you also want to let them know, like, yo, I'm not your average. There's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of people that crack mics and try and get hot takes, or there's a lot of barbershop people that try to jump into this space. I try to give y'all a different listening experience. I try to give y'all opinions that are different, that are honest, that are raw. I'm now upping the production value, as y'all can see in here so being nominated two years in a row which long live pick and pop it was nominated for you know same thing best sports best black sports podcast it was all nba podcast to be able to now 
transition this podcast into a new identity in a all sports and we get into other things here. We've gotten into crypto here. We've gotten into social justice is- issues. We've gotten into politics here. We've gotten into race relations here. I'm not afraid to talk about anything. So the fact that this podcast, uh, the Sam D podcast, could be nominated again shows me that I'm doing good work here. And, you know, it's an independent award. Last year, I think I should have won last year. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it a buck with y'all. Uh, but... We'll see what happens this year. I expect to win this year, but I may not. It's not up to me. I can't judge my own shit. There's no voting that I can have y'all go vote for. It's up to a panel of judges. So we'll see how the judges feel. They definitely should feel that this pod has improved. And that's always going to be my goal here, to keep the value of this podcast improving. Because to to keep it a buck, after being nominated twice now, for talking my shit here and cracking the mic. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Like for real though. I don't really want to hear about anybody else. But like seriously, don't come to me if the bag ain't right. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Yesterday's price is not today's It's really not. Like the brick, the price of the brick, it's gone up. Price went up. Price, price, price went up. Yesterday's price, price went up. Yesterday's I mean, price, price went up. I mean, you know, I've been able to monetize this podcast, not directly because I don't do no ads and no sponsorships. Um, that's just not, not my bag because the, the infrastructure is not set up to whatever. Um, I've been able to monetize myself through this podcast. I've been able to make appearances on shows and be paid. So, yeah. Now, two-time nominated podcast host. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Now, two-time with two different pods. Best Black Sports Podcast of the Year nominee. Price went up. Price went up. So, I just want y'all to understand that there's many different ways to make this thing pop. If you really want this shit, you can go get this shit because if you if you can believe, then you can achieve. Look at me. Shout out to the late great Tupac Amaru Shakur. If you can believe, then you can achieve. Just look at me. Seriously. So, you know, I don't got nothing witty for you. The announcements of who wins the award will be uh, next week, I believe. They changed the date. It's going to be this coming Sunday, but I believe it's going to be next week, Thursday. Yeah, next week, Thursday, barring any scheduled changes. So keep up with the social media stuff. I'll make sure to sure to let you know whether we win or lose. But it's a victory in itself because we're being recognized. You know, I gave you all that clip of me on the radio and people were questioning my credibility and things like that. And to certain cultures, I do not have credibility because they don't know me. But they don't know where I come from. They don't know my culture. They don't know my vernacular. They don't understand or know my language but y'all do. So I'm very appreciative of that. I appreciate those who reached out to say congrats or anything like that. I, I I couldn't do this if I didn't know y'all were out there listening. I could talk to myself in my room. I could pod to myself in in, in the crib if I really wanted to. But the fact that I know that y'all are out there listening means a lot to me. So it pushes me even on days when I don't got the energy and all that shit, even days when I'm on the road in the hotel or in the airport or whatever to find a way to pod. So 
Appreciate y'all as always. Let me get the fuck up out of here. You know what it is. As I just said, appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, Please support. Check the link in the description. Let's get some subscribers to the YouTube channel. Trash Narrative Season 2 is very close to being done. And um, I appreciate y'all, man. I I say that a lot because it really does mean a lot. Feedback is always appreciated. Support the pod. Five sauce, nothing less. Subscribe and rate. Tell a friend. All that good stuff. For the Sam D Podcast. I'm the Sam D. I'm out.